0: Again, thank you, to everybody, for being here. Thank you for praying. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we'll be in First Corinthians chapter twelve tonight. We'll aim to cover the first eleven verses, uh, and we're really going to have a, a good uh, a good time tonight talking about a, a, in a topic that I think everybody should be interested in, and uh, that is the subject of spiritual gifts. We don't talk about those a whole lot uh, in these parts, uh, not because the Bible doesn't. Tell us a lot about them, uh, but it just doesn't come up. And and a lot of times we think that only certain churches talk about these sorts of things. But I think we'll find out tonight that this is something that every Christian uh, needs to know about, and something that every church um, stands to benefit from. And that's really going to be the key theme tonight: um, how the spiritual gifts are meant to uh, be a blessing to the body of Christ. And and I want you to to say up front: when we hear spiritual gift, we often uh, we often think about uh, kind of tools in in a Tool belt that we kind of pull out as we need them or as we want to but, but that's really the idea of spiritual gifts, the idea of a gift from God is an encounter from God something that we receive from God but really a, a, an opportunity we have because we walk hand in hand with God um, so think of it just as an extension of your salvation and as just as you do certain things as a person as a man as a woman as an employee of this place or that place um, as a Christian there should be certain things that you naturally um, are involved in or produce through your wall. So that's sort of kind of a primer for our conversation. We're gonna, we've talked extensively about the idea uh, that 1 Corinthians is really built on the body of Christ. We, we're going to talk a lot about that next week, but we've talked about that, I think, a lot over the last couple of months. Uh, we're not done with that conversation. Uh, chapter 12 is really where Paul digs into it. Now, most recently in chapter 11, uh, Paul focused on how we participate in Christ, how we are partners in him, and how, particularly, and how we worship together, and how we fellowship together, and how the Lord's Supper is a reminder of of how we are saved by the same source, and we come to God through the same way. Um, yet we are here to the benefit and for the benefit of one another, and, and we are benefit. We are strengthened by God for the good of the body. and we are members of His body. We we can't isolate our faith or detach ourselves from that reality. And and really, why would you want to? Uh, because we'd be worse for where for it. There are plenty of people uh, that uh, that that may claim they know Jesus separate from the body of Christ. Yet the Bible does not tell that story. The Bible tells a story of of Christians being a part of the body of. Christ, naturally, you would think, would be a part of, uh, of, of his body. Now, in chapter 12, Paul's going to continue to talk about these themes, particularly around unity, cooperation, participation, and how the spiritual gifts are meant to... Um, assist us in maintaining unity and participating and cooperating the best we can. Now, this is a subject, again, we don't talk a lot about in, in Baptist or evangelical circles, not because we don't believe in them, but because they're, they're just not our entire platform. Um, but but some groups make this their entire identity. Um, and, and in some ways, Corinth was on the verge of doing that. Uh, they were very enthused about the idea that God was going to give them gifts, that God was going to, you know, empower them to be uh, like Jesus and, and do things maybe that Jesus did and, and be be like him and, and, and again overpowering their flesh. They were really enthused about being equipped by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they didn't really associate those gifts with the body of Christ. It was more about a, a personal thing, an individual thing, a, hey, look at me thing. I've got this gift and you've got that gift. I, am I better than you or am I as good as you? And it became a very competitive thing and, and it became a very, well, I've got this and you don't have this, so I must be better than you. And it, and it became a kind of a who's who, kind of a show and tell scenario. And, and that's just not what God Intended and Paul's wanting to snuff that out very quickly. Um, and now let me explain. We run into this all the time in the real world, in real life scenarios, where we often struggle to understand the reason we've been given certain opportunities, or the reason we've been given certain blessings, the reason we have been given certain resources that we often fail to connect how uh, we individually fit into larger communities. And this is just a selfish thing. We're all you know self. We're all selfish, right? I'm not. Same, some of us more than others, but we're all naturally selfish. Um, every human uh, has to be aware of this and, and fight against this drift um, if we want to be a functional member of a larger unit beyond ourselves. And those units may be marriage. Uh, it, it pertains to our families. It pertains to work. It pertains to a team that we're on. And of course, some of these are more important than others. But just generally, when you think about me individually and you individually, we all fit into larger units, and how we understand how we fit into those units determines the, the, the way those units function to their to their uh, uh, intended place Now think about it if 're if there 's a part of you, and I think there 's a part of all of us that struggles to, uh, tr- struggles to understand that things that we buy for ourselves earn for ourselves often has to be shared with others. I think that's the earliest thing that we struggle with as children, right? Well, I got to share with you, right? That This is mine. I, I don't think I should have to share. Um, now, we, we may think, well, I earned this, I bought this, it's mine. I, I don't really think you appreciate it like me. And this is not just something we have trouble with when we're having playtime at school or dealing with other kids, right? When we're little. This is something that we deal with in these units as, as married people, as, as in our families, in our in workplaces, and in, in, in on, on a team or a part of a club. Now, if you're single, um, and, and you're going to live out your days alone and independent, then and I guess it's fine that you don't really worry about anybody else. But again, that's kind of an unfortunate attitude to have regardless because all of us naturally, uh, you know, want, should want to be a part of, of some greater community. But but if you're married, right, it's not just your car. Um, it's, it's both of your car. It's not just your home. It's both of your home, right? And, and, and what's the point of having a relationship if everything is segmented off separate from one another? And, and again, this isn't a sermon on that. It's just state the obvious, that things don't really go that well if you are in a relationship with someone and you decide, and you decide, hey, I've got mine and you've got yours and we don't really share, but we're married. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But but my point is that we struggle letting go of things that we knew ahead of time weren't just for us. Um, like when we signed up for it, when we said I do, we joined with someone else, right? When we have children, we, we you know automatically share with those children when you join a club or a team you understand that you're not the only person in the room when you took a job you understand that it's not just you that works there you're a part of a greater organization whether whether everybody does their part or pulls their weight you've got to kind of deal with the reality that it's not just you on the team in the workplace or in the family or in the marriage that you're a part of something and how you contribute to it matters. So, so there's this push and pull of being a consumer and being a contributor. We love being consumers, right? We love to consume. We love to enjoy things for ourselves. Uh, you know, we bring it home. It's for us. We did the, We know we're doing this at work. We should, you know, if we did the most work, we should benefit from it the most, right? But, but again, that's not how it works, is it? If you're part of a team, everybody is important. If you're part of a club, everybody has a say. If you're in a marriage, of course, both of you have to figure out how to make it work. If you're in a family, then, then it's not just you and everyone else bowing down to you. It's It's a family, right? So, so. We have to understand that we're not just consumers, but we actually are placed in those communities so that we would contribute to the larger system in this, in, in an organization or, or unit that is being uh, that is being established. Now, if we go into any of those scenarios or situations without this sharing mentality. If we, go into, if we go into a marriage, and again, I'm not saying you have to live this way. I'm just saying this is just how things are. And if you, don't, if you refuse to share in a marriage or in a relationship or in a family or as a part of a workplace or a part of a team, you're not going to do well, right? That you don't have to believe this and you don't have to apply this, but we all know this. It's just facts. If we go into any of those units without a sharing mentality, it's going to frustrate the harmony of the community, right? And plenty of people say, well, the heck with it. I'm going to work by myself and for myself, and I'm never going to be around anybody else that doesn't think that I'm the only one that matters. <laughs> again, that's not a fun way to live. But, but, but again, if we want to enjoy the, the, the blessing of family, even the blessing of work, right? If we want to have the joy of being a part of a team that does things together, then, then you're going to have to realize that there's sharing that's got to happen, Otherwise, it's just not going to work out. Now, some of us never get over this, and that's why marriages don't work, why families, don't, why families go to their own corners when they, they all go home and everybody goes to one of the four or five corners of the house. Um, that's why some sports teams never succeed. You can be the greatest athlete, but if you, don't, if you don't have a team mentality or sharing mentality, no matter how good you can drive the ball or how good you can pass the ball, right, a, a football team is not just the quarterback. A, a basketball team is not just the guy who runs the ball, right? It's everyone. And, and, and again, maybe somebody might can pull you know pull wait for, for those that, that that are lesser than. But at some point, you've got to share and figure out how to make it work. Um, and again, that's why some workplaces are so hostile, because there's kind of one person that just kind of does every, has all the power. Um, I think it comes down to this, that any one of us, any one of us who makes it more about I than us, frustrates the harmony of the community. And again, you, you may say, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not wrong for being selfish. And again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. This is still true, right? That if it's, if it's more about I and, than about us, and that's why some people say, well, I don't think it's worth it because, hey, I think I am more important than us. And again, some people walk away from situations because they just can't figure this out. But the, regardless of what we believe and what we think is right or wrong, that if any, if any one of us makes it more about I than us, the community will never be in harmony from family rooms to break rooms to locker rooms. It's just true. If we're gonna live alongside, work alongside, function alongside others, we have to embrace sharing, partnering, cooperating as key to unity and progress. And we haven't even got to the church yet, but that pretty much reminds us of what the church is all about, doesn't it? And again, I think we obviously already know how this applies to the church. It's easy to connect those dots. When it comes to 1 Corinthians and the church at Corinth, th- this is something they were struggling with greatly. Um, uh, and that's why Paul's writing to them uh, this whole book. And, and similar to chapter 11, they were coming together for worship and excluding some, ignoring others, missing the entire point of worship. They were leaving people behind. They were leaving people out. They were casting people out. It was just a really—it was just not, a, it was not an us. It was not a community. It was not a team. It was just kind of a few people that you know that, that, that cut all the shots. And then as Paul gets to chapter 12, he wants to talk about the importance— of all these things, but also when it pertains to spiritual gifts. And and here's the thing about the Corinthians. They heard about spiritual gifts, and they were all ready for them. They were signing up for spiritual gifts. They wanted to have the gifts of the Spirit, yet they were not wanting to connect those with how they serve the body of Christ. And that's why Paul is very upset. He says, we're going to learn, and many in Corinth were excited about receiving and maturing these gifts, but they weren't keen on their intended purpose and function, as in they wanted to have the gifts for themselves, for their own glory, for their own, hey, look at me, but they didn't understand uh, that the short of it is, uh, the short of it is is that none of us, that nobody receives a spiritual gift for themselves. That if God gives you a gift of his spirit, if God gives you, if God encounters you or you encounter him in a, in a way where you are uh, able to understand the, the, the depths of the spirit and grow in knowledge and, and grace and, and able to serve him in a, in a way that maybe others might not be able to, that you were given that gift for others. You weren't given that for yourself. We were given these gifts. We are given these spiritual gifts for others. We, nobody is gifted spiritually for themselves. None of us are gifted by God for our own egos, our own satisfaction, for our own pride. No no preacher is given a gift so he might be the greatest preacher in the world, right? No teacher is given a gift that so they might be the greatest teacher in the world. Nobody is given the ability to encounter God in a, in a supernatural way so that they just feel better about themselves. It's for the purpose of edifying and contributing to To the body of Christ. Why does God give us gifts? Why does he give us talents in the spirit? So that we might contribute to and edify the body of Christ. To put it simply, anyone who claims to be gifted or have spiritual gifts but handles that gift for selfish glory or is separate from the church and kind of has their own little thing going on, they've missed the point entirely. Anyone who doesn't emphasize the benefit to the body has missed it. And I can pretty definitively say this that nobody is given a spiritual gift detached from their calling to the church nobody is given a gift spiritually the ability to to, to from god's word to to lead people to encourage people to To magnify God in a certain scenario, no one is given a spiritual gift that's detached from their calling to the local church. And unfortunately, a whole lot of people in the world claim to have the gifts of God's Spirit and claim to be filled with God's Spirit, yet they have no relationship with the body of Christ. It's about them and them only, yet they can't get along with others. And hey, that's not going to fly. And Paul is writing this chapter. Because the people at Corinth uh, claimed to be gifted and equipped and empowered, yet they were not thinking about how it's going to benefit the church. Now, here's the thing. You can sidestep your accountability and obligation uh, to use your personal strength and talent and resources for the benefit of your family and your employment and your team. You can, you can get out of all that if you want to, if you can rationalize it. Hey, that, that's fine. Go for it. But you can claim that you don't answer to anyone or aren't indebted to anyone anywhere else. In, in some cases, you'll do just fine. In some cases, it, it, it'll be a struggle, but that's not really my business. But when it comes to the spiritual gifts, when it comes to the church, the gifts are given to serve his body, and there's no other way around it. So, so if we possess any one of these gifts, yet we fail to tether it to the ministry of the local church— Uh, the services of others beyond ourselves, then we are mishandling, even abusing these gifts. Or if we see the church as a platform to show off our gifts, yet it doesn't benefit anybody, then that's just what we're doing. We're showing off. We're not actually helping anybody in the process. And plenty of people turn these pulpits into stages of performing, right? Or turn their opportunity to serve the church into, hey, look at me. And God is nowhere close to that. Now, i bring this up not to assume that any of us struggle with this, but to tell you that this was a big problem at Corinth. People were enthused about spiritual gifts, yet they were confused about their purpose and the application of them, and quite honestly, all these years later, a whole lot of people are still confused about spiritual gifts in general, and I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's shameful to admit it. I think it's important that we admit it before we can get the help about them. So some of that is fault on the churches and pastors for not talking about them enough, but I think our misunderstanding is really rooted in similar places from all those years ago. But it's God's will, it's God's will that all of us know about spiritual gifts, that we pursue them and possess as many as he gives to the point of benefiting and blessing the local church. But, but that's the big thing we need to emphasize up front. He's the one that gives the gift. They're not on a shelf that we can walk into and somehow earn enough, to, you know, have enough money to buy them or have enough clout to say, hey, well, of course I've got that. Of course I should be able to do that. Of course I should encounter God that way. Look at me, Look, do you know who I am? See what I've done? These are not something that we walk in and say, hey, I want to do that. It's something that God has to enable, that God has to assign, that God has to give. Encounters with God are not man-driven. They are God-driven. They are God-initiated. I want to look at the first three verses up front, and I want to walk through these verses, and then we're going to look at some pretty important reference verses that I want you to make note of um, as we talk about the idea of, of being filled with God's Spirit on a general level. So we'll get into that first. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, you'll notice that word gifts is italicized in most of your Bibles, and I'll explain that in a minute. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb or these mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, a couple of things here. Verse 1 God does not want us to be uninformed about this subject in particular. There aren't many things the Bible comes out and says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. There are a few verses I can think of, but there aren't many where Paul or the writer literally says, hey, I don't want you to be unknowing uh, about this. I don't want you to lack knowledge about this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. But the Bible is saying to us, I want you to listen closely on this subject. So again, you may say this isn't for me. I don't got to know this stuff to be a Christian. And of course you might not. But Paul says, I want you to know about this. So lean in to this tonight, even if this is a little bit different from what you're used to talking about, I want you to lean into this. Now, naturally, there are a few super important issues in the Bible, salvation, scriptural authority, sanctification, spiritual growth, but this is another one that I think we might want to brush off initially, but Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that. I want you to know about this, and I think you're here because you want to know. First off, I want to talk about this phrase, spiritual gifts. Literally, in the original text, the phrase there is just one word, and it just means spiritual things. It just means, Paul says, hey, I want you to know spiritual things. Or I want you to know things that pertain to the Spirit of God. So essentially he's saying, you are now filled with God's Spirit. You say, who, me? Yeah, you. You are now filled with God's Spirit. This is where God wants to take your life. This isn't just for preachers. It's not just for teachers, not just for deacons or elders or however you want to quantify. This is not just for some Christians. This is for all Christians. Paul says these are the spiritual things. It almost be like if you opened up a biology book or an anatomy book and there was a chapter that said or a text that said concerning the flesh or the physical body and it went on to talk about things that the human body features, whether you know our organs, our muscles, our functions and, and the things that our body naturally does. That's what Paul's saying here, that I'm talking about things you will naturally learn about and embrace and grow into as a spirit-filled creature, just as you as a person, as a human being, have, have things that you naturally do. You breathe, you eat, you walk, you run, you sit, you stand, you sleep, you get up, right? Those are things that you do as a fleshly creature, as a person, right? Those are core to your flesh, to your natural body. Paul says concerning the spiritual things, these are things that you as a Christian need to know about. And that God wants your life to be, to have his fingerprints all over them. That God wants your life to be earmarked by encounters with him. So with that notion, do you think this chapter is just for certain Christians or all Christians? I I think it's pretty definitively, this is to every Christian. Concerning the spiritual, as in you are now in Christ, you have a new identity. These aren't extra blessings, these aren't things that are only... Apply to people who've ascended to some spiritual level that's bigger and greater than we can imagine. This is for anyone filled with the Spirit of God, which the Bible says is all of us. And I want to do a little bit of a sidestep and talk about this because a lot of people get really confused about this, and there's a whole lot of different Christians and churches that argue about this. And I think it can be settled pretty quickly if you just read the Bible, which is something we fail to do sometimes. This is talking to Christians who have received God's Spirit, and there is no question that every Christian has the Spirit of God in their hearts. There are some that teach differently, but I want to make it very clear that if you are saved, you have the Spirit of God. God and there are not degrees there's not some people that have part of the spirit and don't have all the spirit he is a person and he's not halfway somewhere or a quarter of the way somewhere if he is in you he's in you right if he's with you he's with you he's not one leg one one you know one foot over there one foot over here he's not like us he doesn't halfway commit to people right so if you are a Christian you have the spirit of God now are there varying degrees of sensitivity to and fellowship with the spirit of God yes And that's what this text is about, trying to get all of us to tune into all of what God wants to do in us. But I want to give you a few verses that help clarify this because you'll encounter someone in your life that says, well, I heard someone say that you don't receive the Spirit of salvation or I I heard someone say that you have to be, you know, have a second work of grace or you have to be baptized in the Spirit that's not... When you get saved, you, people will say this stuff. And again, there's a whole lot of people with a whole lot of sermons and a whole lot of information that will tell you they're, they're right about this. And, and again, I'm not trying to say they're wrong. I'm just trying to show you what is right. And I want you to know what the Bible says. So a few verses I want you to make note of. The first one is Romans 8, verse 9. You, Paul's talking to Christians. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So that settles it, doesn't it? That if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. End of argument. Now, somebody will, somebody will still say, well, that's not, have you read Acts? And yes, I've read Acts, and I'm sure you have too. But Romans 8 is God's word, right? Romans is God's word. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to him. So if you do belong to him, you have the Spirit of God. Originally, here's where, the, here's where it gets confusing for people, and I'm not trying to be, make light of their confusion. It's just, this is the thing. Originally, the Spirit of God did not fill people's heart at salvation. The reason that, hap- that happened that way is because the people that got saved initially were walking side by side with Jesus in the flesh, and he did not pour his Spirit out until he ascended to heaven because there was no need for his Spirit to be in our heart when he was physically walking beside people. So when he died, rose again, the Spirit of God rose him up, he went to heaven and sat on the throne, and then he poured his Spirit out and he ushered in the church age. But again, that, that little transition period was a special scenario that is no longer the case. Now, ever since Pentecost, salvation into Christ and baptism baptism by the Spirit happens at the same time. Peter, at Pentecost, gives this invitation. Acts 2.38 Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when someone says to you, well, yeah, you're saved, and then later on you get the Spirit, well, you say, what did Peter say? Because Peter was there. Peter was there at the first day, right? Peter would know, and Peter's invitation to everyone at Pentecost was, repent repent, believe in Jesus, you're saved, and you receive the Spirit. There's no second work. There's no maybe later on, if you're good enough, or you do good enough, or you're obedient enough, you are saved and receive the Spirit of God at the same time. And I think that's pretty clear, don't you? But like I said, our sensitivity to and our dependence on will fluctuate. It will fluctuate and requires that we constantly drink from the well that is Christ in his salvation. Because even when we receive the Spirit of God, we're still fleshly creatures, right? We're not glorified. When we're saved, we're justified, and the Spirit indwells in us. One day we will be glorified. That's when we get to heaven. We'll talk about that on Sunday nights. We will be glorified one day, and that means our flesh will be purged out, and we will receive new glorified bodies that don't have the sinful nature that we have. But until that day, we are filled with the Spirit, yet we are still fleshly creatures, which means that that spiritual sensitivity will fluctuate, that we will run out of gas sometimes, if you want to use that analogy yet just your car can get empty of gas, you will never get empty of God's spirit. You just might not be sensitive to him as you should, or as you should. Now, John 14, Jesus said this, everyone who drinks of the water, of the water from this world will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. To eternal life. So here's a picture of the Holy Spirit. If you lean on the world, you're going you're to run out. You're going to come up empty. But if you are filled with God's Spirit, salvation never runs dry. And God's Spirit is constantly offering to fill you back up. That he doesn't leave you. He doesn't say, oh, you're empty. You got to do it again. He says, hey, I am welling up within you eternal life every minute, every moment of the day. Now, throughout Acts, we do read about the disciples being filled with the Spirit again and again and again. But it's this notion that they were saved, they were indwelled, and they always were being refilled because like all of us, they got empty, they got drained, they got discouraged, and they had to be refilled. That's just the normal Christian life. That's the cycle that Jesus is talking about right here. A couple examples, Acts 2, 4. It says they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then again, Acts 4.31, they prayed, in in the place that they gathered, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So just like they were filled initially, they were filled again, because that wellspring was in them, always bubbling up. Again, Acts 13, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the same people, again and again and again. They weren't getting resaved or sanctified, or they weren't receiving something new. They weren't having another work, another work, or whatever people talk about. This was just the same Christians getting filled again and again and again because our Christian faith requires that we constantly drink from the well because the Spirit of God is always nudging us and, and leading us in that direction. So does that all make sense? When you get saved, you receive God's Spirit. And when somebody says, I don't know about that, you have the verses to go, you can read more verses, but you can go to Romans, you can go to Acts, you can go to John, I can give you 20 or 40 more verses if you want them, it's no question You have received God's Spirit, which tells me also that that means all this applies to us. Now, a a sister passage or a good cross-reference passage to 1 Corinthians 12 is Romans 12. What Paul says this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. This word grace in Greek is the word charisma, now, we hear about the charismatic movement, right? And we think well, that's, that's a special part of Christianity. Charismatic, charisma just means grace. Every one of you have received grace. The same grace saved me that saved you. All of us receive grace. Just like we all have the Spirit, we all have God's grace. And God's grace is transforming us to be more like Jesus. So why, do, why is it important that you are informed about the spiritual things? Well, we just learned. Because we all have God's Spirit. And we all have God's grace and he wants to transform us and make us like him and give us these gifts. In verse two, he contrasts their new faith to their former idol-worshiping pagan faith. We have a God who has made clear and plain and discernible his will that we are not in the dark. We don't have to think, well, it's just not for me. I don't think that God doesn't say anything to me about this. We've learned very clearly that God has said plenty to us about this. And then in verse three, he paints a pretty broad banner over us. To get the, to, that will lead us into the final details. I want to explain that first part where he says that any... I want to make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. In the pagan religions, and this will come up in a couple of weeks again, but in the pagan religions of ancient Greece particularly in worship gatherings. People who claim to be possessed by the spirit of gods, you, or they claimed that when you would go to these worship services, the spirit of the, spirit of the gods would just possess you and that you never knew who was going to possess you and you never knew what was going to happen. Spoiler alert, uh, the, the, the things that were possessing them were demons, not gods. There was only one god and he wasn't anywhere near that. But, but they didn't know that. But when they would engage in worship, the people in these pagan religions and worship services would start babbling incoherently. They would just start babbling and they would—they they had no legible note. There was no literate language to it. It was just babbling after babbling after babbling. And the people sitting in the worship service would just think, wow, what are they saying? And then some pagan priest would get up and say, oh, wow, you just absolutely—you just accidentally cursed God and, and we got to kill you. And they would say, well, well, well I, don't, I didn't mean to say that. And the priest would say, well, unfortunately, you don't know what you're saying whenever you're babbling like that. So it was just a big mess. And you think, what is it? Why, why would they even do that? It was just a way to control people and scare people. But they would, people would give in to these demonic, this demonic spirits and they would just babble and they would just go on and on and on and, and, and nobody had any, any idea of what was going on. There was just confusion and fogginess and disorientation. Paul wants us to know, which may be a fear of ours, or it may not be, Paul wants you to know that when the Spirit of God fills you, it's not going to make you confused or foggy or cause you to do things you don't understand what you're doing. That is not Christianity. Uh, and, and also, you're not gonna do anything that's gonna somehow disgrace, your name, disgrace God's name or disgrace the church in any way. You're not gonna do anything that's gonna do anything harmful to or disgraceful toward the church. And if you're doing something that's harming or disgracing the church in the name of Christ, you might wanna rethink what you're doing is what he's basically saying. When we are allowing the Spirit of God to lead us and fill us, we know that the Spirit of God does these four things. He clarifies God's truth, He channels God's grace to us and anything that he does in us is going to glorify his name and edify his body. And you can do a litmus test. Should I do this as a Christian? Does it glorify God's name? Well, yeah or no. Does it edify his body? Yeah or no. Does it edify me instead of them? Well, hey, that's not a good thing and that probably doesn't glorify God if it doesn't edify his body. Does it make things more confusing and more more, uh, upset people or make things more disorienting? Well, that's probably not of God. So on that note, Paul tells us that if we're claiming to honor Jesus, yet we're somehow detracting from the glory of God, tearing down the unity and the fellowship of the body, then we're on the wrong path. On the second part, though, Paul makes it clear that anyone who says anything or does anything that will amount to anything for Jesus is at the mercy of the Spirit of God. No one one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. You know what that tells us? The core identity— and desire activity of a Christian is not earned, achieved, or arrived at through any other means than the Holy Spirit. Preaching, singing, ministering in any way. Our faith is a gift. God's grace is a gift. The Spirit of God is doing the work. Remember how Jesus defined our relationship when he was commissioning disciples to go and do work for him? In John 15, 5, he says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And and you might say, well, people do plenty apart from him. It doesn't amount to anything or it doesn't amount to anything eternally. It's just words or it's just works. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter for anything. That if we are wanting to serve the Lord apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we are completely... Enabled to do anything that amounts or honors the Lord. So that's how at the mercy of God's spirit, nobody in a pulpit or in a pew, anywhere in between, can do anything that honors God apart from the spirit of God, authoring it and guiding us in it. So we should be sensitive to him, right? I wanna read verses four through seven and I wanna focus on two things. These are the diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there are diversities, there are different gifts, but there's one Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but there's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Underline, highlight that. Given to each one person for the profit of all the persons, all the body. Does he spell it out as clear as day there? So two things there. He talks about diversity and unity. How there is a diversity that God is God gives us in different ways. The point here is that we, were, we need to remember that we aren't all going to be given the same gift and be, encounter God in the same way. It's going to pertain to Scripture, but we're all not going to have the same experience. But we are all gifted by the same source. So what we experience as believers is for the purpose of benefiting the whole body and we all receive it from the same spirit. So I think a lot of times we think of Christianity as a competition. Well, hey, you know, here's what I've seen. Here's what you've seen. Here's what they've seen. And we all kind of get together and we all kind of stick our chest out and we, it just kind of makes us look foolish because it's the same God that's doing the work. We're just vessels. And the reason why God's doing the work in my life in your life and their life is so that the whole body might be unified. It's not a competition. It's not a, hey, look at me. Therefore, it's safe to conclude that he who gifts us has the best interest in mind for both individuals and the collective. Here's the amazing invitation of this passage to anyone out there that says, I have nothing to offer the church. Because I know there's people, maybe tonight, there are people who, think, who sit in church and they say, Justin, I just don't have anything to offer the church. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad to be here. I'm lucky to be saved. And, and old, you know, poor old me. And, and we are lucky to be saved. We're fortunate to be saved. But you, you people say, well, I don't have anything to offer the church. It's just me. I'm just, I'm just holding on. I'm glad I'm going to get there. <laughs> this text says, of course you have something to offer the church. You can have that attitude, but it's not because God told you to have that attitude. It's because you somehow psyched yourself out of serving God. You may think, I can't be a blessing. I can't offer any help. I can't contribute anything. And this scripture says, yes, you can. Because the passage says, That the Spirit of God is willing to enable you and all of us are going to receive that and experience that differently and that's okay. That just because somebody up here preaches a sermon that lasts however long and and you might have a a small testimony, your testimony isn't any less important than my sermon. That that your, your prayer isn't any less important than someone else's offering. That it's all important. It all matters because we're all doing it by the same God for the same God. That you may say, well, Justin, it's just, you know, we're so small compared to somebody else, some other group. Let's Listen, their God's the same God as ours. We're not serving different gods, and, and our God isn't fighting to be better than their God. That's the Old Testament. That's paganism. That's the false religions. We're all on the same team if we're Christians. So we should celebrate the fact that God works differently and that God has different agendas in different places. Yet the ultimate goal is the same, to build up his body and to win people to Jesus. It all comes back to this thing from earlier. Consumer versus contributor. Listen, you, you, you can be a consumer with that attitude of, well, I'm just here because I'm just, I'm, I'm just observing. I don't have anything to offer. You know, I'm not, I'm not anybody special. And again, you have so much to offer. It is tempting to look at these, li- li- these gifts and say, wow, you know, you know, if I had that gift, I'd be somebody. But this isn't about being somebody. This text is about how God wants to give us these gifts of his grace for the purpose of blessing his body. It's not about somebody, it's about his body. And I think with that in mind, we will never go astray with these gifts. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read this last few verses. I'm gonna give you some general points about them and we're gonna get deeper into them next week. So don't worry if you have questions, we'll get more into that. Eight through 11. To one is given the word of wisdom or the gift of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge or the gift of knowledge through the spirit. And those are kind of the same thing. We'll talk about that again next week. To another, the gift of faith for the same spirit. To another, the gift of healings by the same spirit. Notice how he keeps saying the same spirit because he wants you to know that the same God doing all this, differently in different people, but he's the same God. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Another, discerning of spirits. To another, dis- different kinds of tongues. Another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things. Circle that verse, underline that verse. Distributing to each one individually, what does it say? as he wills back to that thing from earlier it's not we don't sign up for it we don't earn it we don't prove ourselves good enough for it god's the one that says hey i want to do this in you i want to do this in your life just sit back and let me do it a couple quick things i want to talk about there are those who believe that the same that the spirit of god no longer equips people with the with these gifts some of these gifts all of these gifts there are those who believe this, that God is the same as he was 2,000 years ago. And, and there, these two types of people are, are, are in these categories. They ask, has God ceased or has he continued? There are some that believe that that, are, that, that, are, that believe that God has ceased in giving these gifts. All of them, some of them. And they get a little bit, it gets a little bit messy. Well, I still believe God calls preachers and God gives people the words of, to preach, but I don't believe he does the other things. Well, I believe God heals people, but I don't believe he heals them that way. And people get a little bit argumentative about all this stuff. So there are people who believe, who, who say God has ceased the spiritual gifts, and there are people that say God has continued the spiritual gifts. Here's where I'm coming from. I have a hard time believing that, that God continues working some of them and not all of them because he doesn't categorize these differently. I think we start picking and choosing according to our own traditions, and that doesn't help us. That just makes things more confusing. So I'll say this, and we'll get into this deeper in a couple of weeks. I believe that God continues to equip and empower people with these same gifts, but I don't, I don't believe that means they all have a place in a church service. These, these, are all, these are not talking about things that should happen in a church service. That's not what, what it means when it talks about edifying the body. It, the idea is that God gives these gifts and strengthens us as Christians so that we might turn around and be a blessing to his body and contribute more to his body's work. These are things that God does privately but brings them out publicly. In some scenarios, maybe not others. These, are gifts. These gifts will never isolate us from the body, but they drive us closer together and dedicate us to it. Something I want to stress that doesn't get talked about enough is you'll often hear people talk about the spiritual gifts as if they're defined by them. Well, hey, I have a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher and you're, you, know, you, you, you have great faith or you've received, God has done a miracle in your life and that becomes our identity. I want to make it very clear that the only thing that defines a Christian is Christ alone. That if you hear someone bragging about some spiritual gift they have as if that's what defines them, they've forgotten what saved them because that gift didn't save them. The gift came from the one that saved them. I'm not defined by my ministry. I'm not defined by a preacher who has a gift of knowledge or a gift of wisdom. I am defined by Jesus just like you are defined by Jesus. The gifts don't become who we are. So if you hear somebody talk about, oh, my, my, uh, it's all about tongues or it's all about healing or it's all about this, they've forgotten what saved them. And I'm just not, making a, not pointing out people and making an example of them. I'm just saying that if somebody acts like because they preach great sermons, that means they're somebody, they've forgotten that they're the same God that saved them, saved everybody else. And that's what defines us, Jesus and Jesus alone. These gifts may not be exercised all that much, but verse 6 told us that these diversities, uh, that, that it's God that brings them out of us. The important thing for us to know in the closing is that God can work any one of these gifts through our lives if we just open up to being used by him. These deal with how God works in our private devotion for his public promotion. These gifts are about how God is privately working in us and how we are privately devoted to him and how those bring out a public proclamation and public public promotion. That these gifts, the, the, the emphasis is not the gifts, it's what they offer the body of Christ, which is they promote Jesus. These are just ways God works in our lives and things that God does to bring glory to him. Whether it's understanding his word, receiving unique wisdom, having special knowledge, having extraordinary faith, I want you to think, don't think of these as tools, but think of these as spiritual encounters with him. Having God work a miracle in our lives, where he intervenes in circumstances to other people's uh, inspiration. It's all about being willing and available to him. So tonight, tonight, we've heard how God wants to empower and equip us all. Nobody is excluded from this chapter this is not just for some people, for men or for women or for old people. This is not just for some people. It's for every Christian. We've heard how God wants to empower us and equip us, and we know where he wants to take us. The question is, will we surrender to him and ask him to further explain and enlighten us on these subjects and lead us as he sees fit? Will we say, God, I don't, know, I don't understand all this, and I don't even know what that really means to be gifted by your Spirit. You know, that's just for preachers or that's just for people that are doing this professionally, but I want us to be open for God to teach us in this area. And if we're going to get into this in next couple of weeks, we've got to be open for God's, God's inspiration. We'll get into more detail, don't worry. But we need to ask ourselves in the meantime, are, will we pursue the spirit of God and his gifts that he might work through us for his glory and for his people's good? Will you surrender your life to God so that he might fill you with his spirit and begin breathing into you and working through you things that edify his body that maybe you didn't think you could be a part of or could experience. But God says, I'm just waiting for you to say, here I am, feel me and use me. How different the world would be if Christians still took this seriously. And, how, and if it wasn't just, well, that's a pulpit thing, that's a Sunday thing, that's a preacher thing, that's a, no, no. It's every Christian. And you've got something to offer the church and you've got something to offer to God as he wants to fill you with his spirit and work through you in spectacular, extraordinary ways. But the first step is pursuing and believing and asking him to fill you with his spirit and get rid of anything that might be competing for his, his space in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given us from your word. Lord, this is, we believe this is your word as much as any other chapter of the Bible. We believe that you are good, you are gracious, you are kind to your people. And God, we've all heard tonight that we are all filled with your spirit, that all of us have received your spirit and we all have something to be gifted by and an encounter with you that we can experience. Lord, it's not just for some, it's for all. And the same God is working in all and through all and for all. So Lord, I pray that you might would show us what we might have access to and available to us if we would just devote our hearts to Jesus and his spirit and pray for you to lead us and guide us and use us for your kingdom and for your church's good. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.